following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Well, we are uh, starting a brand new series. I hope you're um, excited about that. And uh, we're going to be in the first few verses of James right now. But do you ever get to the place where you say, I need answers and I need them I need them now. So you've been there. You've been to that place. Uh, No time uh, for fooling around. No time uh, for nonsense. Uh, At that point, whatever it is, you're in deep and you need some wisdom. Uh, You need some help right on the spot. And everyone gets there. Everybody seems to have that time where they just say, "I, I need some answers. I need them now. But I want to say this. Because I always recognize whenever I'm preaching, there are some who are believers and there are some who are unbelievers here in the room today. And, and I want to say that while, while this is a pretty universal thing for everyone, getting into these deep places, for the Christ follower, I believe the stakes are much higher when we get into those places. Because we are, above all people, with every breath seeking to do things with eternity in mind. That we are seeking to live in a transcendent way. That we are seeking with everything that we do and every step that we take, we are seeking to bring glory to God. Now, would you agree with me that as you go through difficult seasons with that in mind, that I want to please God with how I live, that that makes the stakes even higher. True? It sure does. And so we desperately, when the pressure is on, we desperately need wisdom from God to get through it, to live for him in the midst of whatever challenging circumstance we find ourselves in. And I appreciate that God has given us very practical wisdom in his word, very clear, very simple to understand wisdom from him. That's precisely what I need for those moments when I need answers and I need them now. And so this series that we're beginning today is in the letter of James. We're going to spend uh, really to the end of June, 16 weeks in this letter. And uh, as we've titled it, it really is the no-nonsense guide uh, to an extraordinary Christian life. And I hope that the Christian life that you want is not a mediocre, a so-so, a just good enough Christian life. But I, I hope we all would aspire to an extraordinary Christian life. And so if you think that's something, having this no-nonsense guide to how to have that, if you think that's going to be helpful for you and life-changing, then I'll make sure you're here for these 16 messages and, and let's get right into it. That's kind of an introduction to the whole series, um, but let's get right into it today. This first message in the first four verses, we're going to see this. It's up on the screen. Your difficult days are an opportunity for genuine joy. So hold on to the very end and see what Christ will do. That's the whole sermon today in one sentence. Some of you are, are hoping I'll just close in prayer right now and we can be done, but, but I'm going to unpack that a little bit if that's all right as we work through these verses. So let me read the first four verses of James and then I will pray uh, for us. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. 
greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word of God. Let's pray together. Well, first, God, I, I pray that we would um, aspire uh, to be extraordinary followers of Christ. And then I would pray, having made that pledge and expressed that desire, God, that we would not resist in any way the no-nonsense message that you have for us in your word. We need clarity. God, we sense the urgency of this. There are some in this room, in fact, as we open your word, and they are already in that place where they need answers and they need them now. And so, God, speak to us. Uh, Give us the joy that this passage speaks of, uh, the joy that you want us to have. Father, I pray that we would uh, change whatever needs to be changed, change that in us through your Holy Spirit, and God, uh, receive the glory for what you see in us as your servants. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Your difficult days are an opportunity for genuine joy, so hold on to the very end and see what Christ uh, will do. Let's break that down, uh, starting with the first, uh, first part of that. Uh, your difficult days. We've kind of already established this, but let me ask you, do you, do you, have, do you have difficult days? Let's just, a uh, little survey. Do you have difficult days? Do you have difficult days? There we go. Just want to make sure you're all with me here. I realize it's been a long winter and you're all still a little sleepy. Time to wake up. Uh, we all have difficult days. Now, I'm not talking about the, oh, I had a bad day last week, which I did. Thank you for asking. I, I had at least one bad day. If you ask my staff, it might have been more than that, but, but at least one bad day. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about, hey, Tuesday was a really rough day for me. I mean, we're talking about a sustained period of time where we find ourselves in very deep waters, a trial where it was hard, uh, been through the fire, uh, maybe where we could look behind in the, in the difficult days that we've already walked and say, there's been losses. There's some things, in fact, that I don't think I'm recovering from those days. I, have you had those kind of difficult days? We need um, a word from the Lord because we all have these. These are what the Bible often calls, and this is the word that we're going to hear in this passage and is common to the Scriptures, uh, trials. These are the trials of life, and we know that trials are common to all of us. Uh, No one escapes them, and um, uh, certainly no one escapes them over the course of a lifetime. And maybe you're in a good season right now, and uh, maybe you're even young enough that uh, nothing really major has happened in your life uh, today where you would go, well, that was a trial. Maybe you've had little brief times where there's been some challenges, but you wouldn't really count it as difficult days. And I would just say to you, um, by way of warning and admonition, uh, your time is coming. And those of us who have a little bit of gray hair um, would tell you that those days are coming. I mean, this is common uh, to all of us. 
We all have difficult days. Now, let me show you in the text a little bit of the introductory material here in the first verse. We see that uh, James wrote this. He describes himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A really curious description for himself because uh, this James, uh, there were various Jameses in the New Testament, but this James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same home as Jesus. And so uh, after Mary and Joseph uh, had uh, Jesus, they went back, they lived their life. Uh, in Nazareth, and they had other children. The Gospels point this out to us. There were other brothers and sisters, an indeterminate number, but there were other ones, and James was among them. Now, James, there's every indication in the Scriptures that um, none of his brothers and sisters were really that crazy about following their older brother and his teachings. Uh, uh, But we know that James, at the very least, after the resurrection of Christ, came to an understanding of his need of salvation through what his half-brother had done for him, his Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And um, James, in fact, became uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the chief elder or the bishop or the uh, pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That's who this James is. And um, he had his own difficult days. We understand that it was not an easy road when you became a follower of Christ in the first century. And in fact, it's not an easy road today for many uh, Christ followers in various countries around the world. In fact, uh, what I'm hearing um, uh, from various websites that track this kind of thing, that there are more people losing their life for their faith in Jesus Christ today than at any other time in history, though we don't think about that um, all insulated like we are here in the Western world. Uh, My understanding is that even today, uh, various news media is reporting that there are 33 Bible-believing Christians in North Korea who have been given a death sentence by the country's president uh, uh, because of their affiliation with a South Korean missionary who went and planted a bunch of churches in that country, that communist country. And it's just normal. James had the same kind of thing going on in his life. He was facing persecution at every turn. It wasn't a a welcoming environment to the church. And in fact, he was eventually martyred according to church tradition. A bit of a graphic content warning on this quote. And um, many of you will know that volume Fox's book of martyrs, it says this of James, at the age of 94, he was beaten and stoned by the Jews and finally had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club. I'd call that difficult days. You? That was James. He wrote this letter. Now, the people he wrote to are called, notice in verse 1, the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or what is more commonly called the diaspora. Uh, This is all of the Jews. We understand the Jews to be a very special people because uh, no matter where they were living in the world, they have have, uh, managed to maintain their distinctiveness as a people. The Jewish people, despite almost uh, 1,900 years of not having their own land, have managed to maintain their distinctiveness, their uniqueness as a people and not be assimilated. Uh, But the diaspora refers to all the Jews who live anywhere else in the world, Jews scattered around the globe. Now, the word is used here by James to refer specifically to Jewish believers, 
those who were ethnically Jewish, but who had finally recognized that Jesus was indeed their Messiah, and they began to spread out as a result of persecution. And um, James is writing to them. He's writing to Messiah-believing, faith-filled Jews all over the Roman world. And uh, so his letter is not precisely for Gentiles, although through the inspiration of the Spirit, we read it today. And uh, it is uh, of benefit to us, obviously, coming from the Lord. But it was first written to Jewish believers. And in fact, we believe that the book of James, as a side note, um, is probably one of the earliest written New Testament documents. Now, what's so important about being part of the diaspora? Well, it was that they too were facing pressure, difficult days, having to leave where they were from, to live in other cities, to move from city to city, to try and find some place where they could live and exercise their faith and not be under the pressure of, of being killed for their faith. Now, I, would, I think we would agree, hearing that, If we had to be pushed out of our homes and away for our faith, we would understand that to be difficult days. Now, that's who James is. That's who James is writing to. The entire letter of James is wisdom literature written to people who were enduring difficult days, who had deep distress in their lives. And so whatever you're bringing uh, here today, whatever you're bringing to this series, I just really believe there's going to be some clarity delivered to you from the Lord to make it through your challenges, your difficult days, the trials that you have. And so this theme is going to color everything we read in this study. And so in light of that, here's what he says now in verse 2. Count it. All joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. We're going to come back to that phrase. When you face trials of various kinds. So all kinds of trials. Not sin-related trials. That would be temptation. But just trials. Just the external things that come about in our lives, sometimes the result of choices, but just things that happen to us that are difficult for us to handle, various kinds. Now, notice also that it said, when you face, when you meet these various trials, not not if you meet them, when you meet them, when, not if. Now, that's really important, and I want you to see three reasons why that's so important as we begin to lock down what we believe about this. Three reasons why when, not if is so important. First this, when, not if puts down the prosperity preachers. It puts down the prosperity preachers. There are a lot of preachers out there who are preaching this health and wealth gospel. That if only you have enough faith, if only you believe enough, if only you do this, say this prayer, send in this donation, then all of this will come flooding back on you. You will be healthy. You will find a cure. You will be healed. Uh, More money ten times back will come come back to you. It's prosperity preaching. And um, when you believe when, not if... It puts down these prosperity preachers because what you discover is that they have a very low view of pain. 
a low view of suffering. They ignore the clear teaching and example of the scriptures. Because the reality check is this. Everybody has pain and the scriptures tell us it is appointed unto man once to die. Uh, The ultimate in difficult days. So they have to ignore vast amounts of scripture. Everyone suffers. Everyone has pain. And it doesn't go away just because we hear a preacher and convince ourselves that it should go away. Life is not to be measured in health and wealth or beauty and bling. When, not if. Secondly, this when, not if ramps up our faith. The genuine faith that we have in Jesus Christ. It ramps that up because as one commentator said, Peter David said, trials are the stimulus for faith. If you want more faith and you're praying for more faith, I would consider that to be among the more dangerous prayers to pray. Because God may answer you. And when he answers you, he may give you something that at first you would go, that's too much for me to handle. And then God's going to increase your faith. He's going to give you more. He's going to give you everything that you need to make it through that. And at the end of the difficult days, you're going to go, look what God did. My faith has increased. I believe in him even more uh, greatly, fully than I did before. It ramps up our faith. God uses and chooses our difficult days to increase our faith. There's simply no better way for us to grow except through trials. And then third, this, when, not if, authenticates our faith. Because trials are the testing ground to not only grow it, but prove it exists. It proves the legitimacy of our faith. When difficult days come, we see who really belongs to him. And those who get angry at God and check out on him and run in the other direction are really proving they had no faith at all in the in the end. And when you have faith in Christ and it is genuine and you go through the difficult days and you're still standing at the end, faithful to the Lord, it proves that you are genuinely his. Well, having said all of that, let's continue working on our phrase, your difficult days are an opportunity for genuine joy. We need to come back to that phrase in the beginning of verse 2 that we skipped over. Uh, Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. I wrote in my Bible beside this verse the word outrageous. Do you not consider it to be outrageous that God's word would tell us that in the midst of difficult days, in the midst of trials, we're supposed to be joyful? I find it outrageous that you and I are to count or A couple of translations say consider to take the time to really think about the trial, to really think about what I'm going through. Not a fleeting, hasty, temporal thought, but really considering it. Really taking the time. God, why am I going through this? What's this all about? 
This isn't a, a temporal happiness that you're being asked to have, but, but, but I'm really considering what God is taking me through. I'm considering the work that he is doing in my life. I'm considering the end of the course, the end of the journey with him. And the whole scope of all of that causes me to have something that's well beyond temporal happiness. It's an eternal, deeply rooted in my spirit joy. Notice Notice the little word all. It's, it's all joy. All joy. It's like joy on top of joy. We're stacking joy up. It's, as the NIV says, it's pure joy. It's genuine. It's real. It's, it's true. In fact, a great little definition of joy, just really simply, is, is supernatural. Supernatural. It's not natural. It's supernatural delight. In the plans and purposes of God. Supernatural delight. In the plans and purposes of God. And you see. Just in saying that. I recognize that it's not of this world. That it comes from God. I recognize that it's completely rooted in him. It's about his plans and purposes. And not what I think I should have going on in my life. This is the mistake that most of us make. That we get so self-focused and turn inward. And that's never a good thing. We think that we deserve and we earned and this shouldn't happen to us. No, this is about supernatural delight in the plans and purposes of God. It's vertical. It looks to him. And when you have this, what you're going to find is that it's rooted in what you believe. It's about your theology. So it's an unquestioned Fact of life, not rooted whatsoever in the circumstances that are going on around me. I mean, this, this joy is not, can I just say some things that it's not? It's not grudging acceptance. It's not gritting my teeth through it. It's not a pasted on smile. It's not grin and bear it. It's, it's none of those things. It's real joy that's sourced in Jesus Christ. Among my favorite verses in the entire Bible are Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And in that passage in verse 2, it says this of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Again, pretty outrageous. The cross. I mean, I've been to enough Good Friday services. I've heard enough descriptions of what that was all about that it's really hard for me to believe that Jesus did that joyfully. It's outrageous. But that is what's in front of us, that we are to count it all joy. You say, well, I have a really hard time with that. What's my problem then? Some of you might be thinking. What's my problem then if I don't have that joy? Well, I'm glad you asked. I believe it's your theology. It is what you believe. And unless you lock it down, if you're not going through a difficult time right now, this is much easier. If you are not in difficult days... Now's a good time, while you're in a good frame of mind, to lock down what you believe so that when the difficult days come, when, not if, 
you're way ahead of the game. Your foundation is set. You're not going to be shaken. Much harder to convince somebody of this, to bring them to this place when they're in the midst of it. So lock it down right now. Let me, let me show you this piece of theology that I found this week. Lucy and Linus, thank you. Uh, boy, look at it rain. What if, the, what if it floods the whole world? That's Lucy, always worrying about things. Linus, who's ever the theologian, by the way. It will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy says, you've taken a great load off my mind. Linus says, sound theology has a way of doing that. Whatever the flood is coming in your life, whatever it is, sound theology has a way of taking a load off our minds because then we can rest perfectly in the comfort of Jesus Christ. And so we would say, for sure, Todd, I don't believe the prosperity preachers. I do believe that life is difficult. I don't believe that I'm entitled to health and wealth. That's what we say. But then we very often live like we do. And when the difficult days come, we throw our hands up and we say, God, why me? God, when I said that I believe in trials, what I meant by that was I I believe in trials for other people. Have you had that conversation with the Lord? You laugh like you knew what I was talking about there. We never believe it's going to happen to us. We want to believe that all God's going to do for us is pour a blessing and abundance and all of his love and everything he has. And we get it all. Here's some here's some things we need to believe. We chose this. We chose a theology of. Of suffering. We chose to have to have a theology of suffering because we chose to have a theology of sin. Right? We're all sinners. How many sinners in the room? Just raise your hand. Those who didn't raise your hand, you are still sinners. <laughs> Guilty of pride on top of everything else. So, because we as human beings chose sin, Sin and suffering entered this world. This wasn't God's plan. This was our plan. The theology of suffering is necessary because we insisted on a theology of sin. And so what we would say secondly, having established that is, um, this is what we've given God to work with. God, we live in a sinful world right now, and, and this is the raw material. It's our lives tainted by the effects of sin in the world. Under the condemnation of death. God, this is what you have to work with. So, of course, suffering is part of it. And then I would just say this. He said all of those things. That God's really good at, at working with the raw material. And that God's intention is to bring us to a glorious end in his presence. If only we would submit to his plans and his purposes for us. All 
All of us will face trials. And if we'll see it, if we'll believe him, every trial will bring us to a place of perfection in Jesus Christ. Every trial, every step of every difficult day is rooted in the plans and purposes of God. If only we'll believe it and see it. And so having said all of that, we, we want to get the full benefit of trials. Benefit. But you have to have joy in the midst of it. Our joy must be transcendent, moving beyond the immediate to see the eternal, and only then will we be able to make enough sense of this life to enjoy the benefits of difficult days. Ready to move on? Your difficult days are an opportunity for genuine joy. Here's the next part. So hold on. Hold on to the very end. Now notice at this trial, verse 3 now, uh, for you know that the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness. The testing of your faith. That word testing means to prove um, is used actually in, in reference to smelting or refining, the process of refining. And once something is refined, we understand that there is um, much material that is discarded, often called slag, and then what you're left with is something that is of greater value than the original material. Got it? Let me give you, uh, let me give you some examples here. This is a picture of gold ore. Now that's kind of cool, just a rock with all the gold uh, kind of shining and sparkling in it. It's, it's real nice, but Dave, it wouldn't have been great if you had just gotten a hunk of gold ore and handed it to Debbie when you got, before you got married and said, will you marry me? Here's a rock. That would not have been very impressive at all. Um, it has value, but the value's hidden inside of much that is not of value. And so the gold ore can become gold bars. That's cool. Or it can become gold jewelry. And the value is seen after the process of smelting or refining. Something less spectacular than that. This is iron ore. And... Um, so much of what we live with comes from iron ore, but again, not very oppressive, not very useful unless you refine it. It can be turned into bars or uh, rolls of steel, eventually transformed into things as spectacular as bridges and the chairs you're sitting on or the pulpit I'm preaching from or any number of other things in our lives that are made of steel, but it has to go through the refining process to be of value. Now, refining only happens under high heat. Trials. It's no different for gold ore or iron ore than it is for you and I. If, if we want to get rid of the slag in our lives and get down to something that's pure and valuable, then it's going to happen under high heat. It's going to happen in the midst of trials. And so the testing of your faith, the refining 
the proving of your faith produces, check this word out, steadfastness. Not one word that we use very often. The New American Standard uses the word endurance here, and the NIV uses the word perseverance. Uh, Same original language word that we've looked at in the past before, a pretty common Greek word, uh, hupomene. Hupomene, this is the word that means uh, to remain under the testing. God's bringing the heat. God's allowing the trial. And I could try to get out from underneath that and move away and not have that process happening in my life. But what we're being encouraged here to do, steadfastly remain under, um, endure, remain under, persevere, remain under the trial. And it's so critical because, again, this perseverance, this endurance, this steadfastness proves that we really belong to him. Matthew 24, 13, just jot down that reference. Matthew 24, 13 says this, Jesus said this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance, steadfastness, is the number one overarching characteristic of someone who is a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, true Christ followers don't quit. They just don't. James says, let that endurance have its full effect. Don't, don't try to get out from it. I mean, you're going to be tempted in the midst of trials to bail out. You're going to be tempted to cry out, it's just too hard, I can't make it. You're going to be tempted to quit, but don't do it. And some of you have been there. You're going to think, well, God dealt me a bad hand. And I don't want to play this hand. I want out from this. You're going to want a a different reason for this. You're going to plead with God the why question. And he's already given it to you. But for so many of us, it's just not an adequate answer because we want more. The no-nonsense guide to an extraordinary Christian life says to us, That when we go through difficult days, the reason for that is, is God wants you to be closer to him. God wants your faith to increase. Every other reason for the trial is secondary to that. And if we would trust him and believe him. then we will understand I already have all the answer that I need. I don't need to know the rest, no matter what it is, whatever the various trial is that that I happen to be going through. Your, Your loved one that died. The fact that you don't have that person anymore. God wants your faith to increase through that. The marriage that failed and the pain that came with it. Whether yours or someone close to you. 
The, the why question is answered by God wants you to increase your faith. He wants you closer to him than he, than he wants you closer to any other human being. Even a spouse. The fact that you can't ever seem to get ahead and, and you would classify yourself as, as poor and not really having the financial means to ever um, make life easier. Though that's somewhat of a moving target. God, why am I poor? Why is it always hard? Why can't I get a better job? Why can't I keep a job? The answer is faith. God wants you to have more faith. God wants you to increase in your love for Him, increase in your intimacy with Him. Or health issues. God, why am I like this? Why am I going through this? Why, why do I have to suffer? Why does my loved one have to suffer? Why have we been given this? Why can't you heal me and make my life easier? And God says, because I want your faith to be stronger. I want you to know me beyond the circumstance. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Sometimes we struggle because we want to compare ourselves to others. Sometimes it's because we want to believe the world's lie that we deserve better. We don't like the way it's playing out. Don't believe it. Don't quit. Remain under what God has chosen for you. And take courage by the fact that we have a Savior who gets it. We have a Savior, God's own Son, who had His own version of difficult days. And back to those verses in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're encouraged to run with endurance. Same word. Run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In the same way that he endured and remained under, we're to endure our race, our version of the race. And not quit. To hold on to the very end. To prove our own sonship in the family of God by enduring with joy our own cross, our own trials, even as Jesus endured his. True Christ followers follow him through all that he went through and to the very end. Salvation would not be ours if Jesus hadn't endured. And our sanctification, our becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, will not be ours unless we endure, we remain under, we hear and learn everything that God has for us. Your difficult days are an opportunity for genuine joy, so hold on to the very end and see what Christ will do. The goal... 
I believe, is what we want anyways. We, we have, every person in this room has lofty goals for themselves. Did, did you know that? I know what your goals are. You want life to be perfect. True or false? Just want it perfect. That's all I want, God. Just want it perfect. Perfect weather, perfect house, perfect car that never breaks down, perfect children who never misbehave. Lofty goals, I said. Perfect in every way. We just want it to be perfect. That's all we want. And that's what God offers us. Awesome. We have the same goals as the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has for us. Notice what it says in the latter part of verse 4. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I, I have it in my mind that we both say we want perfect... But I have a feeling that we have different definitions of what we're talking about. Do you get that feeling too? That somehow, when we think perfect, we're still only thinking about the week to come and how my life could just be easier for the next few days. We're still just so locked into the temporal and the now that we have trouble seeing the eternal and the glorious. God, of course, has that view in mind. And when we make it to the end, that's what we get. Perfection, completion, lacking absolutely nothing. But I believe with all my heart that if we can shift our values, shift our belief system, and believe everything God says about these things, I believe that we're going to get tastes of and be moving towards in greater measure this perfection, this completion, this lacking in nothing. I believe that's going to come on this side of eternity, not in its full glorious state. But for sure we can be moving toward it, don't you think? If only we would believe the right things. And so these words talk to me about process, but they also talk to me about the ultimate destination. And really, as we go through difficult days and come out the other side of those, the people closest to us and you yourself should be seeing increasing layers of confidence and faith in God. There should be more and more of that, more joy, more faith flowing out of this endurance. Again, endurance is the basic trait. But the reality is that if we have endurance, several other things are already going to be true in our lives. We're going to be courageous people. And I I know this is true for many of you in this room. Those of you that I know well and you've been through difficult days, there's greater measure of courage today to speak out for Christ, to make decisions, to live decisively. Because you went through difficult days. It's already there. I see it in you. The endurance betrays courage. There's a strength there, a a determination, a a sense that, that nothing can really harm me because I'm so strong in what God has said to me. There's an inner strength that's been growing along the way if endurance is true of you. There's there's wisdom. 
You talk to people who have been through challenging days, through trials, and they always have more wisdom. They always have something that they can say that's going to help you to process what you're going through. The older I get, the more I realize that's true. A person who understands submission, uh, endurance also has submission in their life. They understand their place before the Lord. They understand their place in terms of other people and what genuine submission looks like. And of course, they have increased faith if they're enduring. They just believe God more and better. And all of this should be increasing as we live our lives, enduring for him, seeing what Christ is actually doing in our lives. Your difficult days are an opportunity for genuine joy. So hold on to the very end. See what Christ will do. Let me close with this. There's a man named John Stephen Akawari. He represented Tanzania in the marathon in 1968, the Summer Olympics in Mexico City. Uh, 19 kilometers, you understand that the marathon is 42 kilometers long, 42. At the 19 kilometer mark, he developed cramping. He wasn't accustomed to the high altitude of Mexico City where they were running the marathon. He hadn't trained at that level. And so his muscles began to cramp up. And along the way at the 19 kilometer mark, um, he was tripped up, um, fell to the ground, injuring his shoulder, but more uh, critically, dislocating his knee. Now, any one of us could have accused, uh, uh, excused him rather of, of just bailing on the race. I can't run anymore, and there's still uh, 23 kilometers, more than half of the race left, but uh, he was quickly patched up, bandaged up, and he kept running. Several other runners bowed out of the race, but he was the last to actually enter the stadium and finish. The winner had crossed the finish line, and he was coming in more than an hour late. His time, three hours and 25 minutes. Still pretty amazing when you think about his condition. He limped into the mostly empty stadium in the dark. There was only a few thousand fans left in the Olympic Stadium by that time, and once he crossed the finish line, he was asked why he kept racing, and he said this, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Jesus Christ did not give his life so that you could profess faith in him. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. He made the sacrifice so that you would profess, believe, walk with him with endurance to the very end. Jesus Christ made you his own son and daughter so that you would finish the race. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I um, I pray for 
each of us in this room, God, knowing that uh, it's common to all of us to go through challenges. And there's no doubt that as we have gathered here today that there are those in the room who are going through difficult days right now. And I would pray uh, for them, God, that they would endure in the midst of whatever they're facing. God, that they would be encouraged and strengthened by what they've heard here today from your word. And that your Holy Spirit would be filling them even in this moment and giving them a firm resolve to finish the race. To believe what your word has said. To reject the lies of their own flesh and of this world and of the devil himself. God, help them to believe. And to the extent that we can help our brothers and sisters to bear one another's burdens, God, I pray that we would do that. And thank you that you've given us the church for that very purpose. Today it's someone else, but tomorrow it might be me. And we need each other. And we are better together. And thank you for the uncommon community that you're building in this place. And Father, I pray for those in the room, a God who don't, yet have a relationship with you. They may think they do. They might even be religious. But God, when the heat's turned up, God, it's not likely that they would stick around. They might even raise a fist into the air and accuse you, God, of allowing hardship in their life and causing them such great pain and God, I pray that they might even see that as something that would not push them away from you, but toward you. And so, God, I pray for those in the room who have not yet trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, that this morning, this moment right here, they would confess their own sin, they would confess their need of you, and they would become followers of Jesus Christ. Help us all, God, to believe, to trust you, And to see you do that work of completing us in and through Jesus Christ. And it's in his strong name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again. And remember, you are loved.